God, you are good. You are worthy of our life, of our worship, Lord, of our, of, of, of our obedience, Lord, of our, of our affection, of, our, of, of all that we have. Lord, we know that all you've given us is yours, so we just strive to live a life returning it to you. Lord, uh, starting with our hearts, with what is on the inside, and resulting in an outpouring of a life for you, God. We pray for this time right now. We thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. We thank you for the opportunity to walk alongside, to pursuing you, walking alongside one another, uh, just uh, pursuing faithfulness. Lord, I pray for these next few moments as we, um, as we come to your truth. Lord, let us be stirred up. Let us be invigorated and compelled to a, a life that is not ordinary, a life that doesn't, that doesn't look the same as the world, not because we hate the world, because we love it like you do, but because we are different because of who we've been made in Christ. And so, Lord, we love you, God. Be glorified in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, so, so we're continuing in our, in our little four-week series on the spiritual disciplines. Last week, Sammy Ramos kicked us off. Um, and, and so the, the sermon style is a little bit different than maybe what you're used to if you're, if you're um, kind of regular here at the bridge. So today we'll be jumping around a lot of scripture instead of just teaching through one text. Something that will be really helpful to you is if you use Uversion, the Uversion Bible app. Um, you can go to the More tab, click Events, the bridge will pop, pop up. All the scripture we're using today is there. Um, and also there'll be stuff on the screens. And if you want to try to do Bible drill and flip fast enough, there's Bibles under the chair in front of you if you need a Bible or underneath you. And if you don't have a Bible at all, please take that. That's our gift to you. Um, before we start, uh, a few resources that are really helpful in this topic of learning what spiritual disciplines are, um, I want to I share them with you because I'll tell you, I'm, I'm 41. I've been walking with the Lord for 25 years-ish, um, and, and I still feel like a novice in so many ways. And, and so I'm grateful for, for these uh, people that have gone before us that have had more season and time pursuing the disciplines uh, and, and probably are just quite literally more disciplined than I am. So I want to share these with you. These have informed a lot of what I'm teaching today and over the next couple of weeks. So these are some, some resources. Uh, Richard Foster's Celebration of Discipline, kind of a, a, a classic. Dallas Willers, The Spirit of the Disciplines, David Whitney's Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. And, and a sneaky one. C.S. Lewis's novel, The Screwtape Letters, uh, which we'll read an excerpt from later today, but uh, a fascinating, fascinating book, and I'll tell you more about that in just a little bit. So I want to share that with you. That's super, super helpful so that you can kind of self-lead on your own journey to growing in this. Okay, so real quickly, just... Uh, First off, we're kind of today is, is double different, so it's different because we're doing topical, but also because we called an audible. Um, I was going to teach on the specific inward disciplines, uh, but because of some opportunities that we have that we'll talk about in a little bit, I'm, I'm going to kind of do spiritual disciplines intro part two, um, and really kind of digging into kind of the motive of the disciplines, and we're going to focus on the specific disciplines in the next couple of weeks after this. But, but why do the spiritual disciplines matter? And to be a Christian is to be a disciple. And so a disciple is, a, is, is simply kind of a follower. A disciple is a follower. So a more exact term than Christian would be Christ follower. And so what that means, Jesus lays out what it means to be a Christ follower or a disciple in one sentence. He does it in one sentence. It's in a, it's, I, I love it. And it's when he calls his first disciples, Peter and Andrew. And we find it in Matthew 4.19. So it'll be here on the screen. It's in the version thing if you're reading it. Uh, re, Matthew 4.19 says this, And he, being Jesus, said to them, 
Andrew and Peter, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So to be a disciple is to be a follower. To be a disciple of Jesus is to be a Christ follower. And so what this means is that as disciples, we follow Jesus to the point that we are transformed. We follow him with our heads, our hearts, and our hands. And so how do we see that in this text? First, and we're actually going to look at this text even more later in September, but for now, just real quickly, when we think about following Jesus with our head, it is the very beginning. It is that we have come to believe that he is who he says he is. He claimed to be the Messiah, the Savior of the world, the deliverer of, of us to those who need to be redeemed. He is the one who satisfied our debt. And so it is the place that we've come to believe that intellectually and in our hearts, and we've surrendered to that. So first off, just with our heads, we follow Jesus unto death as we surrender our lives and acknowledge him as Savior and Lord. So he says, follow me. And then he says, I will make you. And this is that we follow Jesus with our heart. And this is really a work that he does, but we are changed from the inside out by Jesus, resulting in us taking on more and more the characteristics of Christ. Our motives, our will, our purpose, taking on our, our internal drive is now belonging to Jesus, overwhelmed by Jesus, and, and aimed at Jesus. And so we see we follow him with our head, we follow him with our heart as he makes us, he changes us from the inside, which is the glorious truth of all this anyway. And then finally, we see that uh, to be a disciple of Christ's follower, we also follow him with our hands when he says, I will make you fishers of people, fishers of men. We see that with the work of our hands, we take on his characteristics so much that our life, the work of our hands, take on the work of his hands. So if you want to say, I am a Christian, which means I am a Christ follower, which also puts me in the category of being a disciple, and if you want to say, I am a mature follower of Christ, I am pursuing that to live out this life given to me, this is what you're pursuing, and I just want to tell you this transformation, this journey of transformation, as we talk about all the time here at the bridge, it occurs through our willfully and actively pursuing, taking on the life of Christ. We pursue that. We pursue spiritual disciplines. So it often seems that we have a problem with the disciplines. Um, if you've, if you've kind of grown up in, in certain streams of Christianity, maybe you had a heavy-handed kind of leading. Like I, This is kind of my, my understanding growing up was that, hey, as a Christian, I'm called to be holy as Christ is holy. To be holy is to be sanctified. To be sanctified is to be set apart, and you're set apart by your holy life by your behavior, as opposed to you're set apart in Christ because of what he did in you, and now you live unto him. So maybe you grew up in something like that, or maybe you've just been an observer and it's been ugly. I mean, that's Amber's story to, to journey of faith. That's what kept her from Christ until she was 20 years old, was this, this inconsistency of message with life. And, she, and so, you know, so depending on where you are, we have a problem with the disciplines often because all of a sudden it, it feels like it cheapens the claim of the gospel. We don't like, and we don't like people treading on our, or, or we don't like people treading on our autonomy. Um, we feel like they're rigid. We feel like they're antiquated at times. Like I said, we feel like they tread on grace. 
for some, maybe it feels like we're returning to a works-based faith. Where, oh, no, wait, I thought salvation, I thought that, that it was by grace through faith alone in Jesus Christ, not by me holding to these disciplines. So we have this problem, but I want us to see just out of the gates that, that there are disciplines all around us every day that we never bat an eye at. You set your alarm to wake up when you need to be somewhere. You put gas in your car so that it will go to get you where you want to be. That's a discipline. We do all sorts of acts of discipline to ensure that we get to where we want to go, achieve what we want to achieve, and know what we need to know to do what we need to do. So, so just kind of a rhetorical question, why do we push back so hard when it comes to the matters of living out our faith? We don't want people telling us how to do it. We just say it's ours. And I want to do it how I think I'm supposed to do it and how, how it feels good to me. So here's the reality in, in, in kind of our thesis for today. If, if we want deep, real spiritual outcomes in our life, we need to employ spiritual means. And it sounds like, okay, so are we still talking about the disciplines? And I say, we are. So if we want deep, real spiritual outcomes, we need to employ spiritual means. One of the greatest obstacles that we have in this endeavor to take on these disciplines is this kind of pervasive denial of the supernatural. That we've kind of moved towards this humanistic, material-driven reality and mindset. We deny the supernatural. We live in a material world, but we have to remember that we are spiritual beings. We have temporal bodies, but eternal souls. We're spiritual. It cannot be denied. It cannot be ignored. You can try, but it doesn't make sense to. So if because of this kind of flipping of, of, of a view of reality, our worldview, we, we often kind of end up kind of backwards. We end up upside down. We're, we end up being driven by how we feel by how we feel about things. Unfortunately, we only end up pursuing these disciplines and the key habits when it feels good, when we feel good, when we feel content, when we feel at peace, when we feel strong, when we feel happy. And we say, okay, now I'm invigorated. The problem with that is that, is that the pursuing of these, these disciplines, these ways of life in this way, it, it actually denies us what we want. Because it is, the, it is the pursuit of these disciplines, of these, of these behaviors under Christ, in, in this posture of life, that it actually leads us to intimacy. Galatians 6, 8 says this, For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. One of the greatest works of the spiritual disciplines is that it allows us to be a part of something with our direct effort that we would have no other way of being a part of by our direct effort. Does that make sense? Like, think, think about Romans 12, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies, to, to, to put an effort to the way that you present yourself, the, you know, taking on the disciplines as a living sacrifice, one that is not yours but belongs to someone else, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. 
Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So to say that walking in these disciplines allows us to be a part of something by direct effort that there, was, that there would be no other way for us to be a part of by direct effort. We're talking about the fruit of God. We're talking about the supernatural. Yes, we are, we, we are spiritual people, but we are not supernatural outside of the Holy Spirit. So we, yes, we have the power of the Holy Spirit, but it's his power endowed and working through us. And so therefore, when we live this way, we actually will participate in a work that only God can do. As we present ourselves as not our own, but belonging to God, we experience the liberating, transforming work God promised in Christ. So this is what we saw last week in Sammy's introduction to the spiritual disciplines as he looked at 2 Peter 1, 3-9. And if you weren't here for that and you haven't heard it yet, I would highly recommend you go back and listen to it because it really is going to be a lens and a framework for how we work for the, through, through the next couple of weeks. But as we looked at uh, 2 Peter 1-9, through we, we saw this call to supplement our faith, the work accomplished, given in Christ, the faith given to us in Christ. We're called, he shows us these, these things that we are to supplement it with, that is our opportunity, our spiritual disciplines. And we talked about last week that the, this work, this effort, the, these disciplines, they guide us to freedom from sin. They guide us to deeper intimacy with God. And they guide us to grow in Christ's likeness. We see this, just kind of the whole drive of this life lived unto God in Galatians 4.19. My little children, this is Paul speaking affectionately to those that he is leading. This is metaphorical family speak. It's not, he's not just talking to those 12 and under. He's talking to the church, the people that he is shepherding and caring for. So this is affectionate family talk. My little children for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth. He's like, I've got expectation for what you could be. He says, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. That's what it's all about. That's what these disciplines are. And so to think about kind of the nature of the disciplines. So over the next couple of weeks, while there are foundational um, main disciplines that we'll be focusing on, kind of the ones that have kind of perpetuated through all eternity and, and, and we see expressed clearly in Scripture and some others, uh, we have to know that disciplines are not a set list. It's not a static list. There's not just this, here's your spiritual disciplines, here's the ones you get to participate. It is, it is much wider than that. Let me explain with a couple of helpful thoughts from Dallas Willard, um, and which, by the way, uh, he was one of the books I, I listed earlier. I, I read Foster's book, Celebration Discipline, probably 15 years ago or so, and uh, I, I, I heard about Willard's book, but only kind of for this um, series did I read it, and I wish I would have read it a long time ago. <laughs> it came out in 07, so I couldn't have read it 15 years ago, but I wish I would have read it 11 years ago. Um, but it's great, so I would highly recommend it. But he says this, a couple of helpful thoughts as we think about the nature of the disciplines and how we can say it's not a set or a static list. He says, a discipline for the spiritual life is, when the dust of history is blown away, nothing but an activity undertaken to bring us into more effective cooperation with Christ and his kingdom. Spiritual disciplines, exercises unto godliness, are only activities undertaken to make us capable of receiving more of his life and power without harm to ourselves or others. 
I find that so helpful. So although we will be focusing on the traditional kind of main disciplines, a spiritual discipline is shown to be anything that, again, is not against God's expressed truth, law, commands, will, but anything that is an effort to take appropriate measure to grow in godliness, to move your life toward the trajectory of God's design and will for you, and to deny our life of flesh that leads us away from God. So it's anything that is appropriate and purposeful that is moving us toward God and away from our self-satisfying and self-destructing flesh. So just like the disciplined athlete is able to, to do what needs to be done when it comes down to kind of crunch time, you know, the ninth inning and that pitcher can still, you know, paint the corners with a 97 mile an hour fastball, that only happens because of practice and diligence and muscle memory. And they're not sitting there thinking about the mechanics of their throw anymore. They've done it so many times. They put the work in. They've done the work to be able to tune out the world and see what needs to be done. Just like that, the disciplines allow us and they equip us to do what needs to be done in this world, like, like loving your enemy, walking humbly, loving a rebellious child or a difficult spouse. Thank you for God's grace, Amber. You know, being selfless and sacrificial with your time and resources, sharing your faith with your neighbors. This is what, these are the actual things that are the outcomes of this way of life. They do not, we have to remember, and, and Sammy hit this so well last week, but it, it's worth being said again, the disciplines are not what transform us. The disciplines are not what saves us. The disciplines are not the ends to our effort. What is for every one of those things is Jesus. Jesus transforms us. Jesus is our pursuit. So it is only Jesus that accomplishes the work in us. Remember this. Remember that like we see in 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Christ has done the work. The work of being redeemed, of being made righteous is complete in Christ. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And this is important. Because if you want there to be any joy in this pursuit, this has to be the case. This has to be your reality. You have to remember that Jesus did it and he does it, and he will do it, all of it. Our opportunity here is not to accomplish what only Jesus can. Again, it allows us to participate with direct effort, that which we cannot achieve by direct effort. Is it making sense more now? I like wordplay, but it's not always great. Um, <laughs> they put us in a place, the disciplines put us in a place of the conditions being right for cultivation of intimacy with God and growing in Christ's likeness. It's like the farmer. The farmer is powerless to make the crop grow. All he can do is till the soil, rotate his crops, plant at the right time, keep the weeds out, and harvest at the right time. But he cannot, no matter what he does, make the crop grow. 
that comes through the natural processes which God created. He cannot do that. He, all he can do is make the environment right and nurture, but he cannot make it grow. The disciplines, they position us and they cultivate our environment to increase the impact of God's transforming and liberating work of Christ in us. So to close, let's go a little bit deeper into what we were saying earlier about us being more than just material beings. I mean, I hear it so often. Just one of the most common kind of obstacles and trip-ups, if that's the right word, of kind of people's faith is this, it's expressed in these statements of like, I don't feel close to God. I don't hear from God. I don't feel like I'm being changed. I hear those kind of things all the time, and there are often things that burden someone's conscience enough that they stop pursuing. They stop, they stop trusting God because they don't feel it. Once again, Dallas Willard, like I said, these are helpful books. One of the greatest deceptions in the practice of the Christian religion is the idea that all that really matters is our internal feelings, ideas, beliefs, and intentions. So this mentality that that's all that determines truth, divorces our salvation from life. It, 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 it denies the experience of the freedom of the, and the reality of, of the chapter that Alexis just uh, referenced in John 10. And a few verses later, Jesus said, he says, I came to give you life and life abundantly. John 10 10 and so when we think about this if we have this mentality it separates our salvation from life and therefore we don't even experience this reality when when Jesus says I promise you not just life but life abundantly life of a life that is satisfied a life that is content a life that is growing in pleasure because your pleasure comes just what what Kurt taught a couple weeks ago in our stewardship it is as we steward well that God actually endows our sacrificial stewardship with joy. So it's ugh, so good. So Willard goes on to say in this mindset that this leaves us with a head full of vital truths about God and a body unable to fend off sin. So I talked about Screwtape Letters. I want to read an excerpt from C.S. Lewis's Screwtape Letters. And if you don't know what this book is, it's a novel. It's, a, it's kind of a fictional telling from his imagination that speaks so much truth. And so to set it up, Screwtape is, is an uncle to Wormwood. Great names. They, if you're asking what region they're from, they're from hell. Um, they're, they're demons. And, they're, and Screwtape's an experienced demon who has the job of coming and lying and deceiving and tempting Christians. Wormwood is apprenticing under, under Screwtape, and so Screwtape is trying to mentor him. And so in this, whenever you hear the enemy, he's talking about God. When you hear client, he's talking about a new Christian. And so I love this book. Like it is so, like just the way that it teaches you just the Christian life. I, I, again, I love stories and it's so imaginative, but it's just, I was like, ugh, it's, uh, it's good. So here we go. He's speaking uh, to Wormwood about his, about Christians in general and about his client. He says, he remembers, help him, uh, I'm just going to back up to the beginning of a sentence. It makes more sense. When the, so I'll catch up to what I, ha I don't have on the screen. Um, when the patient is an adult recently reconverted to the enemy's party, like your man, 
This is best done by encouraging him to remember or to think he remembers the parrot-like nature of his prayers in childhood. In reaction against that, he may be persuaded to aim at something entirely spontaneous, inward, informal, and unregularized. And what this will actually mean to a beginner will be an effort to produce in himself a vaguely devotional mood in which real concentration of will and intelligence have no part. One of, their po- po- one of their poets, Coleridge, has recorded that he did not pray with moving lips and bended knees, but merely composed his spirit to love and indulged a sense of su- supplication. That is exactly the sort of prayer we want. And since it bears a superficial resemblance to the prayer of silence as practiced by those who are very far advanced in the enemy's service, clever and lazy patience can be taken in by it for quite a long time. At the very least, they can be persuaded that the bodily position makes no difference to their prayers, for they constantly forget what you must always remember, that they are animals, and that, and that whatever their bodies do affects their souls. It is funny how mortals always picture us as putting things into their minds. In reality, our best work is done by keeping things out. We are, we're invited, like we said earlier, into an abiding relationship. Our goal is not to escape and just to be mindless and empty and to escape desire, escape pain, but it is to bring all things to the goodness of God, to bring all things and su- surrender them to an understanding that comes from who he is. So if you find yourself unfulfilled and feeling distant from God and, and unvictorious, in your fight against sin, I want to ask you a few questions to close. Um, First question is just, have you surrendered your life to the saving work of Christ? Have you surrendered your will? Have you trusted God's provision for your redemption and salvation? You cannot do it. You cannot get there. You cannot measure up. You will never find peace and security any other way. So if you want peace and security, you want purpose that satisfies, you want contentment that goes beyond circumstance, it starts there. And so first I ask, have you acknowledged, have you called on Christ as Savior and trusted him as Lord of your life to the point that you are following him, growing with your head, your heart, and your hands? For all of us, are we dwelling on the goodness of God? Are we dwelling on the goodness of God? Consider his great love shown in Christ and how in that we see expressing perfectly not just his love but his justice and his mercy and his grace. You want motivation to live a disciplined life? Taste and see that he is good. After that, are you pursuing the life that evidences a priority not set by this world, but one driven by the love and purpose of God? Again, if you recognize his goodness, his love, prayerfully that compels us. And do you pursue the postures and priorities that move you toward God? Again, we don't blink an eye at disciplines around other things that we value. And so, yes, Legalism is the death of our joy. But yet, if love is our motive, these are an offering. It is our joy to give our life. 
We can do all sorts of good things for the wrong reasons and experience none of the joy and transformation. But when we are overtaken by the goodness of God and his love and we realize that the disciplines are all about love, all of a sudden they are enlivened and they're invigorated and there's joy in them. And we want to invite others in. And we want to snatch others out of the place of complacency. Our pursuit and motive of the disciplines, the life lived unto Christ must be that one of love. If that's the case, it will not be some guilt-ridden, fear-driven pursuit or some empty, surfacey, transactional quid pro quo. It's because he is good, because he has loved us first. So like I said, next Sunday we'll get into some specific disciplines. We'll talk about prayer, fasting, and study. But this week, I want to encourage all of us to dwell on the goodness of God in your times of devotion, in your times of, of stillness. Dwell on his goodness. And if you've never done that before, try five minutes. And if you need help with something to focus on, um, you can go to this website, openbible.info slash topics. And then, and it's a great way of getting a lot of scripture on a specific topic and try searching things like God's love the character of God, grace, love of Christ, or anything else you want to search. And it'll just point you to Scripture after Scripture proclaiming the truth of this reality. If we want spiritual outcomes, we must use spiritual means. We are not just material. We are spiritual beings. God is love. He has invited you in. He wants you to pursue Him in relationship So let's let that be our posture. I'm going to pray for us, and Kurt will lead us into communion.